Welcome to Sunday Showcase. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. Welcome back to Mutual Presents, episode 421. I'm Jack Ward, right here with my co-pilot for your passage to yesteryear, Penny the Cat. Getting Penny dressed up in her ballroom gown is always a challenge, but Sundays are worth it with Mutual Radio Theater. This week our double feature is Yes Sir, That's My Baby, and The Blind Gun. So get to your seats and get ready to enjoy the show as we wind back our clocks to those golden days of radio. This is Leonard Nimoy. The day is June 15th, the year 3115. You're about to attend a wedding. Those 62,515 men are about to marry those 62,515 women at the 2 o'clock ceremony. At 2.30, a like number of men and women will be wed. This is not an unusual happening. It's common practice to marry people during the month of June. June, you see, is the only month when you're allowed to marry in the year 3115. What happens is, you and your chosen mate make application to the Central Marriage Permission Board. And once they get an okay from the computers who ration out living space, well then, you and your chosen one show up at the marriage coliseum at the time assigned your wedding. You're each given a short shift or tunic and a garland of artificial flowers to wear or carry and you take your places in the Colosseum for this glorious event. May I have your attention? May I have your attention? We are gathered at this time to join these men and these women in holy matrimonies. It's a touching ceremony, as those things always are, were, and will be. If you'll focus your attention on that corner, near where an end zone might have been at a different time, you'll see the young man and the young woman who specifically are the principles of our story. What you're about to hear is a true tale of the future. Mutual Radio Theater, a new adventure in radio listening. Five nights of exceptional entertainment every week. Brought to you in Elliot Lewis's production of the Mutual Radio Theater. Our story? Yes, sir, that's my baby by Elliot Lewis. Our stars? Herb Vigran, Noel North, and Robert Towers. Permission to marry was something every young person hoped for in those far distant times, and Edward 23 Glendon 55 and Helga 7 Anderson 5 were not exceptions. Young, in love, they desperately waited. Their application was finally acknowledged. Attention, your attention, please. Helga 7 and Edward 23 gave their attention. The proper authorities acting under the permission to marry at section 7, subsection 15, paragraph 11, line 8. Do now then grant to Pelga 7, Anderson 5, 
and Edward 23 Glendon 55 permission to marry Helga 7 squealed with delight and proud Edward 23 beamed and so they were married at the two o'clock ceremony with 62,514 other couples and here's what happened it may concern. This document is included in the package to explain the contents, or at least to clarify what's here, so that whoever has to open it and deal with it will be kind and just. My name is Edward 23, Glendon 55, and this is recorded in the year 3115. I am married to Helga 7, Anderson 5. On our wedding day, we went directly from the ceremony to the living tower to which we'd been assigned. We were delighted to find we were to live in rooms 11, for that suite contained two bedrooms. And since resources are strictly limited with space and atmosphere assigned, that could mean only one thing. We've been assigned a family living unit. <laughs> that means they'll let us have a baby. Now, we mustn't jump to conclusions. We haven't received our card yet. Oh, it's probably waiting for us in our rooms, and I don't much care whether it's a blue card or a pink card. Do you? No. Just think, a little baby all our own, a little teeny baby. That's all we cared about, you see, raising our own little family. And so we waited in our three-room living quarters for our card. We sat in our womb chairs and stared at the message wall and waited for the word. Each day, the great sunlights would blaze on in the morning and simulate old song, and then in the evening, the pale moonlights would come on and we'd know it was night. Then, one day... Attention! Mr. and Mrs. Edward Glendon 55 will report this afternoon between 2.30 and 2.35 to the family card issuance unit. We quickly dressed and reported at precisely 2.30, taking our place at the end of one of the many lines. Ahead of us was the machine which distributed the cards. You simply told it your name and what you wanted, and it passed you a blue or a pink card. If you really don't care whether it's pink or blue, then let's ask for pink, all right? Before I could reply, the machine passed us our card. It was yellow. Oh, no! No, 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 no. There, there. Oh, no! no, no, no. <laughs> I led Helga from the room. The other young people who'd seen what had happened murmured their sympathy. S so that you will fully understand the extent of our despair, a blue card entitles you to a baby boy, a pink card a baby girl. A yellow card meant that in place of a cuddly baby, you were to take into your family unit an older person who had just been unfrozen. We were about to become the parents of an old thaw Eve. Well, there's a well-known rule of thumb that if you've got a problem, you go to the source. For example, if your face itches, you scratch it, or more to the point, if you want a little baby and you're ordered to accept a thawed-out person, find out who gave that order and go to him, which my wife and I did. His name was Mr. Lawrence, 33. Good day. Your card, please. Why can't I have a little baby? Please. Your family unit will include Mr. Ralph Began. Mr. Began was frozen on March 12, 1975, when his heart stopped beating. He was 75 years old at the time. He is to be thawed out this afternoon and will be delivered to you tomorrow morning. Our earliest delivery should bring him to Building 90, Rooms 11 at 7.30, just after the sunlights have been turned on. How can I cuddle a 75-year-old man? Neither of you knows how important it is for a girl to hold her little baby and feed it and help it grow. And you can't do that with a 75-year-old man who is probably still a little bit cold from having been frozen so long. Ah, Mr. Began will be at nearly body temperature within a few days. 
It's just not true that these old folks remain icy cold for long periods of time. <laughs> but I just want a little baby. That's certainly not a great deal to ask. If there's room in our quarters and we have food supply to nourish three people, and we've been told another little human being won't disturb the person-to-atmosphere ratio, then why can't I have a little baby? Madam, the acceptance of an elderly thawee does not preclude your having an infant child of your own at some later date. I want a baby while I'm young. I don't want a 75-year-old man when I'm young and a little infant when I'm old. That's all right. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> your government has need for Mr. Vegan's expertise. The matter is closed. And that was that. No appeal, no changing the orders. So, what we had to do was make the best of it. It wasn't easy. We left the card issuance unit and went directly to our living quarters, trying to see the bright side of things. It's absolutely dreadful. Just, just remember what he said. Including an old thaw in our family unit doesn't preclude your having a child of your own at some future date. Oh, well... It's lucky I didn't let you throw away our pills. Did you know? Is that why? No, no, no. I, I just thought better safe than sorry. There's no reason to get into trouble with the authorities at this point in our lives. C can you imagine what would have happened if you'd thrown away our pills and you'd gotten pregnant? Wow, trouble. I suppose. For the first time since our marriage, we slept without touching. Each of us huddled on the side of the wedding bed, half awake, wondering what our life would become in the morning when Mr. Began arrived. We rose with the sunlights, and at 7.30 we were seated in our womb chairs in the first room when... Anybody home? This the right place? Hey! Who is that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, good morning. Uh, you're the young fella, right? I'm Edward 23, Glendon 55. <laughs> Glad to meet you. Ralph Began. Oh, won't you come in? Right. They told me to tell you there's more chairs in the bed coming. Oh, you're the lady of the house, right? Welcome. Well, put her there. Oh. Yeah, still a little cold. Yeah, I feel it myself. Like I got a chill. Ooh, you know. <laughs> they, they said it would take a couple of days. I, I see. Well, who would have believed it, huh? Here I am. And then this pump that they gave me, this is a real blessing in disguise. They told me that it never wears out. Lifetime guarantee. Can you imagine? <laughs> no more heartburn. Pump burn, maybe. <laughs> Just think. I am going to be with you from now on out. Life's most cherished moments is the birth of a child. New life begins, a new person is born in the image of its parents. But this was not to be in the case of Edward 23, Glendon 55, and his pretty wife Helga 7, Anderson 5. They received neither a blue card nor a pink card, but instead the dreaded yellow card. And now, newly arrived and still not completely thawed, the occupant of their extra room sits, rubbing his old hands together for warmth. Ooh, it's cold. Hey, any idea how long this lasts? I don't know. They didn't tell us. Attention. Your attention. Huh? Rooms. Open your number four. Shoot for eight. Delivery. Huh? What's that? Uh, it's the monitor. It delivers messages. <laughs> Bed and womb chair and a second chair for in here. Imagine that. Fancy. 
Fantastic. We didn't have any furniture for you because we were expecting a permission to bear a child card, and, well, we wouldn't have needed anything for nine months. Actually, of course. We thought we were going to be allowed to have a little baby. Newlyweds, correct? Yes. Of course, and you're going to have a baby. Oh, that's great. That's marvelous. Except we can't. No, not for a while. Later, perhaps. Oh, well, don't worry about it. Listen, even in my day, and once in a while, it'd be problems. But they worked it out. You see, your doctor, he does tests, etc., prescribes, and so forth. And then before you know it, you're pregnant. Just, just, just don't worry about it. If you don't mind my giving advice of a personal nature. <laughs> We can't because they gave us a yellow card instead. Not a pink or a blue card. A yellow card. You! I'm a yellow card? You you, you mean a, a yellow card is like me? Unfrozen? Instead of a baby? That is sort of it, yes. Well, how come? I mean, what kind of a world is this where you, where you get me instead of a baby? Listen, maybe I better get another room. I, I wouldn't want to be in your way. Even when I was alive before, I didn't stay with my kids. Emily and me, we, we had a place of our own with our own TV, our own radio, the works. On Sundays, maybe, we'd go see the grandchildren. I want you to understand I'm not the sort of a man who intrudes himself. Hmm, we'll just take back this for cock the furniture. I assume the store will take it back in return for the stuff you'll need for the nursery. And I'll look for another place. Uh, has the morning paper come yet? I'll look under the rentals, and I'll pick out something where I'll be comfortable, and I won't get in your hair. That's your room in there. No, 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 no you, you don't understand. I'm, I'm going to move. Where's the morning paper? How can you move? How can I move? What kind of a dumb question is that? I'm, I, by moving, I move. How, how does anyone move? <sighs> you have to get a card which gives you permission to move, tells you where you must go. Applications for the card are available to the Living Assignments Building, but, of course, there's no valid reason for moving. They won't let you move. No one moves unless they need more space. You don't need more space, so since you've already been assigned a room, permission to move wouldn't be granted. I advise you not even to make an application. You'd end up in an undersea camp, and you'd turn orange, and no one would speak to you. I want to tell you something. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. It's too hard to explain. But as best I could, I told him what the world was like in the year 3115. I described the sunlights and the moonlights. I told him how we get from here to there and what we ate and what we did each day and so on. It was really a very surface sort of briefing, and I cut it short because I noticed his eyes were beginning to glaze. As you've seen, Ralph Began is very, very thin and getting withered, and when his look grew blank, I stopped. And that began a period of waiting. Each morning, Ralph Began would wait for a morning newspaper that never came, because such a thing didn't exist. Then, out of some old habit, he'd leave the living quarters, saying, See you this evening. When the sunlights had crossed from east to west, he'd return, astonished at the world he'd seen outside. No traffic! He'd yell. There's no cars and no streets, so there's no traffic! One evening, he said, How many people live around here? It's like ants down there. There must be a billion people standing around. <laughs> He'd ventured into the square during friendship hour when everyone who can meets to reassure themselves they're not alone. Then another day... Hey, listen. While we're waiting for that call, why don't we take a little trip? Travel, you know. You could show me what everything looks like. Travel is prohibited. What? Travel is prohibited? Why? And if everyone traveled, those going from here to there would run into those going from there to here. There's no room for them to pass one another, so travel is prohibited. He shook his head in disbelief. Then after moping around for a few days, one morning before the sunlights moved, he said, 
Okay. I've been thinking. And here's why. No calls today, right? Just like every other day, huh? No calls. None. There never are. I was unfrozen because they needed me, correct? Yes. Okay, then. How come there are no calls? They'll call you when you want it. Who will? They will. Who's they? The people who want you. Now, who are the people that want me? Those who decided to thaw you out. I understand that. Who wanted me thawed out? The people who needed you. Who are they is what I'm trying to find out. How would I know? We would have never had this happen to us before. All right. Let's try it this way. Where did you get the yellow card? At the card issuing machine. At the card issuing machine, right. Were there people there? Of course there were people there. There are people everywhere. That's the problem. The planet's jammed with people. That's why you were assigned to us, because there's no room anywhere for one more person. There's no room on the land or on what's left of the sea or under the land or under what's left of the sea or above the land and the sea. There's nothing but people. Billions of trillions of people all over the place. Hey, that's very good how you got sore. You're a somebody. Yeah. Now, here is what I'm trying to find out. When you got the yellow card, was there someone in authority there? The yellow card had instructions on it. It told us to go to the family unit card issuance station's yellow card section. And you went there and what? What was there? Another machine? A man. A man. A real person. Contact. There's a real honest-to-goodness man around. What's his name? Mr. Lawrence, 33. Well, now, there, you see? What? What you just told me about that man, Mr. Lawrence, 33, that might very well solve everything for all of us. Early the following morning, Mr. Began plastered his thin hair to his bony skull and made his way to the family unit card issuance station. He worked his way through the throngs who filled the area until he reached the yellow card station. There he entered a room which seemed to be occupied only by a computer. After waiting a minute or so, a section of wall opened and admitted Mr. Lawrence 33. He sat opposite Mr. Began. Mr. Lawrence 33? Yes? I suppose you're wondering who I am. I know who you are. But you don't know why I'm here, I'll bet. I want to make a deal. We were about to contact you. There's been a serious mistake for which your government is sorry. Oh, what mistake? Unfreezing you. You don't need me? No. But I'm thawed. Yes, terribly sorry. But your government is benign, your life is not in danger, and you've been supplied with living quarters, food allotment, and share of atmosphere. Is that correct? Yeah, but... Uh... Those are yours. Don't be alarmed. We won't take them from you. Consider yourself part of our life. And good luck. Uh, yeah, 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 right, yeah. When Mr. Beacon came home that day, he was very depressed. Not at all his usual self. He told us how no deal could be made because they didn't need him, how his hopes had been dashed. He apologized over and over again, as though the fact that Helga Seven and I couldn't have a baby was his fault. For the next few weeks, he kept to himself, huddled in the womb chair in the third room, his room, staring at the sunlights as they swung from east to west, and then at the moonlights as they threw their pale shadows. After a good deal of thought, he joined us one evening in the first room. Listen, I got a brain, and I've been using it. You want to hear what I think? Hey, did you two kids hear me? Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, let, let me tell you what I worked out. Now, I am going to remove myself from your life so you can have a little baby. Now, you want to know how I'm going to do that? A baby? Right, exactly, a little baby. And with me gone, you can do it. A little baby? How? I, I don't understand. All right, here is how. 
I am going to commit suicide. Uh, you're going to what? Commit commit suicide. Suicide? You 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 don't know suicide? No. No. Well, I'll be damned. Suicide? I, I'm going to kill myself. Take my life. Zop. How on earth do you do that? Well, there are hundreds of ways. Jump from a building or a bridge or a tower, shoot yourself with a rifle or a pistol or a shotgun, hang yourself with a rope or a necktie or something like that, take poison, rat or gopher or any kind, insecticide, say, or stab yourself or cut your throat or your wrists or... Let me see. You burn yourself up or lay down in front of a train or a car or a bus or a truck or swallow your tongue like some of the Chinese people used to do even before my time. Or listen, I, I could go on and on. The point is, you'd be rid of me, and I wouldn't mind at all. Honest, I've already lived 75 years, and that's plenty. Besides which, I got a chance to look around in the year 3115, which is very unusual. That's more than you can say for most guys my age, so... Don't you give it another thought. I will commit suicide. How? How? Weren't you listening to me? What'd you do, doze off or something? I just now gave you a dozen examples off the top of my head, and there must be a million more besides what I mentioned. I, I was listening. It's just that I don't understand how it's possible to kill yourself. If it were, there'd be a suicide every once in a while, and there isn't. That's right. Well, like I said, I, I, I could jump off a bridge or a tower or a building. I, you, you know. We don't have bridges or towers. I, I've seen old pictures of what they look like, but we don't have them. A tower is a waste of space, and there's nothing to build a bridge over. Nothing to build a bridge? You, you, you got rivers, culverts, hollow places? Well, everything is either filled in or covered over or the center of something. Mostly filled in. They use those old moon cutouts. All right, then, I'll jump off a building, and I'll tell you how to do it. You go into a building, you see, and you either enter an apartment and open a window and jump out, or you go up on the roof and take off your jacket and tie and leave your wallet and a note, and as soon as there's a crowd gathered down in the street, you jump. Simple as pie. Open a window? Open a window, of course, open a window. Didn't you ever hear of opening a window? Windows don't open. It would throw off the atmospheric pressure. It's very carefully balanced when you consider the trillions of people it supplies. Jump from the roof, then. Roof? Right, roof, the top of the building. There's no roof. How can there be no roof? What's on top of the building? Floor 879. Rooms like these. Look, Eddie, I am not stupid. I know that. What I'm asking is what's on top of the floor, what you said, 879? The plastic cover. Didn't I tell you? The planet's covered with plastic. Every building goes right up to it, so no space is wasted. The only way you can get outside the plastic is through a rocket takeoff or a landing chute. And then you'd be standing on the plastic, and there's nowhere to jump because the planet is encircled with plastic. There's no below, you see. It's all out or up. Hmm. And, and all, all them other things, I, like I said, like the poison and stabbing and hanging and etc. Yeah, nothing would work. Before they thawed you, they'd prepared a backup system. Yeah, spare parts, you mean. Yes, keep them in storage. Yeah, lungs, liver, kidneys, stomach, tongue, bones, eyes, ears, nose, throat, everything. Everything. Let me ask you a question. How do you die around here? Well, you get an application for death, and you fill it out, and, and then you file it with the authorities. If it's approved, they put you to sleep in your reserve space carton. Aha! That's it, then. Why didn't you tell me I'll get an application for death? You're not old enough. Me? I'm not old enough. I'm 75 years old. What do you mean I'm not old the enough? The minimum age is 163. You're really quite a young man. I am, huh? 
I would have to say that I am a miserable old nerd. That's what I'd have to say. There was nothing any of us could do. The fact that Mr. Began was willing to take his own life so Helga's seven and I could have a baby drew us close together, and we became a family unit of sorts. We went out of our living quarters and showed Mr. Began the tree. That's it? That's the only tree? We used to have billions of them. More than you got people. One Sunday, we managed to get into the automobile run where a carefully preserved 1990 Chevrolet Tudor is driven once around a track. We had freeways for them things. There were so many of them, there was traffic jams. And then, of course, there was the oil trouble. And then, uh, imagine that. Only one car left. For a while, Mr. Beacon seemed to be in a trance. Events had been too much for him. He looked numb and walked aimlessly around the rooms of our living quarters. And I must admit, he, he became more than an annoyance. He was a burden. I don't want him here anymore. He reminds me all day long that I haven't got a little baby and that I'm not going to ever have a little baby. Yes, you are. How? Can you tell me that? How am I ever going to have a baby? We're going to get rid of that old man, that's how. Get rid of him? Exactly. We're going to kill Ralph Began. again with the fourth act of Yes, Sir, That's My Baby. There were times when I thought it was wrong even to be planning this terrible act. But then I recalled cases I'd heard about where young couples in ecstatic determination had thrown discretion to the winds and stopped taking their his and her pills. In each case, the woman had become pregnant and they'd been called before the authorities. The punishment was severe. The husband or wife was ordered to give up their life to make room for the child. Well, I couldn't face death, nor could I face what life would be like without Helga's seven. So I persisted. Then at last, I uncovered the information I needed. That night, when Mr. Began had gone to his room and to sleep, I told Helga. I don't want to know. The heart pump. It's been known to malfunction. When that happens, the person dies. Oh, my goodness. All I have to do is loosen one little pin right in plain view on the surface, besides the air intake valve, and that's it. It'll malfunction, and no one will ever know the difference. I'll give him a new pump. If the malfunction occurs just after he falls asleep, we won't know he's dead until morning. And by then, too much time will have gone by. Too much damage will have been done to save him. It'll be too late. The alarm bell. Didn't he say there was an alarm bell? I'll disconnect it. They've had malfunctions with the alarm bells, too. Why do you suppose they give you a lifetime guarantee if both the pump and the alarm can break? The lifetime guarantee isn't for the person. It's for the piece of equipment. You're covered for the life of the equipment. When are you going to... No, don't tell me. I waited until she was asleep, and then slipped out of the bed and walked towards Mr. Began's room. I had a moment of panic when I realized he might be sleeping on his stomach where I couldn't reach the heart pump. But he lay on his back, his nightshirt open at the neck, so that the pump elements I needed were convenient to my hands. I located the tiny pin and the alarm bell connection and in two quick motions slid the pin loose and broke the alarm wire. The heart pump stopped. I couldn't look at him. I ran into the bedroom and lay down on the bed beside Helga Seven, who was still asleep. No sound came from Mr. Began's room. (laughs) 
When I opened my eyes again, it was morning. Helga Seven was already awake, sitting up in bed, watching the sunlights begin to glow. When she saw that I was awake, she leaned over and kissed me. It's all right. It's all right. I did it. Last night, after you'd fallen asleep. I knew you had, just looking at you. Well, I'll call the authorities through the message boy. They'll come and get him and take him away. Well, there's usually an informal hearing, I was told, and since we already have had the food space atmosphere ration in our name, they'll give us a pink or blue card, whichever we prefer. And we can have our baby. Yes, our baby. Hey, you kids up yet? You decent? Oh, oh. Uh, j- just a minute. <laughs> I'm not a ghost or anything, assuming you got things like that. Come on out. I uh, had to go out so the alarm bell connector could be fixed. Did you know they had an emergency station in Building 85? No, I, I didn't know that. I, I, I told them it busted on its own. I didn't, I didn't want to get you in trouble. Same reason I put the pin back last night, so you wouldn't get in any trouble. Put the pin back? Yeah, you got 30 seconds grace with these things. to build in. The guy who installed mine told me. So, after Eddie left last night, I put the pin back. I heard you talking about what you were going to do, and uh, I just couldn't let you do it. You'd spend the rest of your lives, every time you looked at your kid, you'd be thinking he was there because you killed me. You know, kids should come out of love, like mine. I had three of them. Oh, I'm glad you survived. I, I don't know whether I could have made it if you hadn't. You recall in our early conversations on this matter of how to get rid of me, I never once mentioned you should kill me. This whole thing is my fault because of that dumb decision I made to be frozen. So, I got myself into it. I got to get myself out of it. There has got to be a system. There always was, so there is now. And I got to figure out what it is and then how to beat it. It's just that simple. Now, tell me about life here. Fill me in. Wanted to know about the his and hers pills, the backup system that had been devised to prevent unwanted pregnancies until the couple had their permission to bear a child card. We explained what the scale in the first room was for, how men and women weighed themselves for the record each week, protection against food thievery or pregnancy, since such things were easily uncovered by the Friday weigh-in. Then, one terrible Friday, it came time for the weigh-in. I stepped off the scale to make room for Helga Seven. In a minute, she said. I was astonished. It's time for your weigh-in, I told her. In a minute. Don't rush her. Yes, don't rush me. Are you all right? Me? All right? Yes, certainly. Why? Because you've never before delayed your weigh-in. Well, that proves there's always the first time. Have you something to hide? Are you pregnant? What? Have you been taking your hers pill? Yes. Have you been taking your his pill? Of course. Then how could I be pregnant? Attention, your immediate attention, Mr. and Mrs. Edward Glentry, Glendon 55. The computer reports Mrs. Glendon 55 has not used the scale. Go ahead. I, I don't... Go, go, go on, weigh yourself. Whatever it's about, we should know right now. you do it, Edward? You're more important to me than a baby. You shouldn't have done it. What, me? I didn't do it. Mrs. Glennon, 33's weight chose two variants. <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Edward, 23, Glennon, 55, will report to the family planning unit headquarters building for a hearing within the hour. 
couldn't understand what had happened. Mr. Began, however, didn't seem disturbed. Don't worry. You, you kids worry too much. You're a fine one to talk. Nothing's going to happen to you. At the headquarters building, the three of us were directed by signs to the hearing room, where four men sat in great chairs behind an enormous table. They gestured that we were to sit opposite them, and we did. A blood sample was taken at the entrance tunnel. Yes, sir. I will come right to the point. You are with child. Oh, I, I don't know how It's not her fault. It's my fault. She knew nothing about it. I will accept your judgment. No, no, he didn't do anything. It was me. I did it. It's my fault. Sir? Yes, who are you? Ralph Began. No numbers. I'm the original. Oh, yes, the 4 E. Yeah, exactly. It's neither of their faults. I accept full responsibility. Here is the key to the matter. His, his pills, and her, her pills. Three months supply. Where did you get those? I've been taking my pills. No. You've been taking what we used to call placebos. Fakes. I made them out of my food supplement pills. I kept this as evidence. Your Honors, I accept full responsibility. I'm sure your actions were well intended, but that doesn't change the situation. Some member of the family unit must give up his or her food space atmosphere for the newcomer, which excludes you. You're a sign family and a different status entirely. Uh, let, let me tell you a story. Ralph and Emily Bagan married back at the beginning of the 20th century. They had three kids, who in turn had seven, which was the count when my heart quit and I got frozen. And these seven who had maybe 14 or so on. Now... Who programmed the machine that gives out the blue or pink cards? The machines program themselves. Are you saying that new information is passed from computer to computer? Exactly. So at a birth, the machine keeps track of that person through marriage and so on to the next child and so forth? Exactly. Who do you suppose originally programmed the computers? Why, the man, of course. Ah, now you're cooking. What man and when? I'd only be humoring you. Humor me. The computer was originally programmed in 2046. 20, has anybody since then asked the computer how come they assign yellow cards to certain families? No. That is to say, I'm not certain. Ask it. Humor me again. This is the last time, Mr. Began. We're at the end of our patience. That information is lost to us. The computer response was secret information. Secret, huh? Okay. Let me give you a for instance, which will explain why the computer's original programmer didn't make yellow card assignments helter-skelter. Suppose the machines were programmed so that a thaw E was turned over to his family, let's say. Now, if that was the case, when the machines took over and began programming themselves, they'd continue doing the same thing, huh? Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know if you are or not. Did I tell you that I was frozen before my daughter was married? What's that got to do with our problem? All right, just listen to this. Now, this little piece of paper here, this, this was written by my daughter. I got it from the people where I was thawed. They found it in a little slot on the side of my freezer. And my daughter says, Dear Papa, when you're thawed out, you'll be pleased to know I'm married to a wonderful man, Nathan Glendon, and I have two boys, Robert and Edward. 
I thought you'd like to know when you're thawed, you've got family somewhere, etc., etc., etc. Now, don't bother counting on your fingers. I'll save you the trouble. The elapsed time in generations from my grandson, Edward Glendon, to now is 55. What's your number again, Eddie? Glendon, 55. You betcha. So, you see, Your Honors, I'm not assigned family, which can't take the place of these kids. I'm family, a member of the unit. So when I say I'll give the new little baby my food and space and atmosphere ration, why, that's it. According to your own rules, I'm allowed to do that. There is a further problem. You have heard, I presume, of the application for death certificate? It is operable as a system because disposal provisions for an individual have been made at his birth. We have no place to dispose of thawies, none at all. Even ashes occupy space. Uh-huh. I thought of that. You ever hear of passing the buck? Passing the buck? When you got this kind of decision to make, you let somebody else worry about it. Pass the buck. This is the highest court on these matters. There's nowhere else to go. Where's the box I was frozen in? Still in the vault? Why, yes. And it's empty, right? Pass the buck. Refreeze me. Let somebody else worry about it in a couple of million years or whatever. Just let me wait around until the baby is born. I got the food space atmosphere card for it. Agreed? And that's what happened. He stayed with us until the baby was born. A little boy we named Ralph, too. <laughs> Imagine. Imagine I got to see my 56 times great-grandson born. The authorities let him stay in the rooms for the first few weeks so he could play with the baby and hold him. Then, one day, he decided to leave. The medical staff at the refreezing station explained to him that he'd be frozen, and that would be it, until someone else, someday, somewhere, needed his services for some reason and thought him out. We know that when that happens, he'll be with family, which is why I'm enclosing this note, to explain to you who your great-great-how-many-ever-times grandfather is and what a really special man he is. Please, take good care of him. Mutual Radio Theater is brought to you five nights a week at this time. Tonight's original radio play, Yes, Sir, That's My Baby, was written, produced, and directed by Elliot Lewis. Your host was Leonard Demoy. Our stars were Herb Vigran, Noel North, and Robert Towers. Featured in the cast were Michael Rye and Marvin Miller. The Mutual Radio Theater theme was composed by Nelson Riddle. John Harlan speaking. Associate Director of Mutual Radio Theater is Ken McManus. Sound effects were created by Bud Tollefson. Mark Trella is Production Supervisor. Recording Engineer, Hal McDonald. Music Editor, Lee Ringett. The Elliott Lewis production of Mutual Radio Theater is a presentation of CBI. Mutual Radio Theater has been brought to you by Sears, a name that means quality and value. A name that you can count on for service and dependability. Sears, where America shops for value. This is Lorne Green. Listen in on Monday for another story about the West, as it was then, as it is now.
This is Lorne Green. It was not unusual in the Old West for there to be many womanless homes. The life of a settler was hard, too hard for some, and many women died young, particularly during the rigors of childbirth. Emma Jenner was one such woman who died giving birth to her first and only child, Jimmy. But her husband, Edward Jenner, bravely stayed on at their small farm just outside Cascade, Wyoming, and raised the boy, Jimmy, by himself. He tilled the land, raised wheat and corn, and put salt pork away for the long, cold winter. He also watched his son grow gradually into a man of 19 years. Jimmy, take some of these logs into the house. Sure, Pa. Uh, here over there, son, a little to your left. I got him. Yeah, a couple of more right in front of you. Thanks, Pa. It's not easy raising a boy by yourself, especially a boy like Jimmy. You see, Jimmy Jenner is blind. And that's only the beginning of our story. Mutual Radio Theater, a new adventure in radio listening. Five nights of exceptional entertainment every week. Brought to you in Elliot Lewis's production of the Mutual Radio Theater. Our story... The Blind Gun by John Bornholt. Our stars, Corey Burton and Vic Perrin. On any farm, there is a division of labor, as no one person could possibly do all the work himself. The Jenner farm was no different, and certain chores gradually fell upon Jimmy, despite his blindness. One of these chores was the nightly cooking... Yeah, that was real good, Jimmy, and real filling. It was only still. Still, you're becoming quite a cook. No, no, you stay put, son. I'll clear the table. The least I can do for such a fine meal. Was it a pretty sunset tonight? Passable. I heard a saying in town the other day. Red sky at night, clear to daylight. Red sky at morning, better take warning. Is that true? Not that I've ever seen. Seems like the sky is always red at night. What? What does red look like? What does red look like? Well, you know last week when you burned your hand on the stove? Uh, Remember how that felt? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what red looks like. <laughs> I can see how that thing got started. Uh, Paul, how'd you hurt your leg? How'd you know I hurt my leg? Because you've been walking funny all day. I can tell the difference, you know. Might as well tell you, though, I'm I'm not proud of it. I, I got myself into a little scrap at the fife and drum this morning. I guess I jerked something in my leg. Uh -huh. Anyhow, that stupid bully Gus Keeler was picking on poor old Lucius Michaels again. I told him to stop. He wouldn't, so I made him stop. And lucky for me, I can still handle a bum like Gus Keeler when I have to. You shouldn't fight, Pa. I shouldn't go into that mangy rat hole for a drink. From now on, when I go into town... I'm just going to get my supplies and get out. I'd like to go to a saloon sometime. <laughs> what on earth for? So so you can get into a fight, too? No, just to see what it's like, to feel the atmosphere. Uh, are the saloon girls pretty? Yo, you're all fat and ugly. All of them? Now, look, are, are we going to gab about saloon girls all night? 
What do you want me to read to you? But my ma was pretty, wasn't she? Pretty? <laughs> Your ma was beautiful. She wasn't anything like a saloon girl. She was, she was small, real tiny, with skin so white and pure it felt like the petal of a flower in, in her hair. Blonde, the lightest, creamiest blonde there ever was. Pa? Yes, son. Why don't you read me something? Yeah, what did you like to hear? Euripides, Shakespeare, Dickens, or something from the Bible? You know, all these books I read to you from were your mother's. She made me promise before you were born that I'd see to it you got a good education and became an avid reader. Now, something else I regret, because you sure got the mind for it. I don't mind not reading, as long as I have you to read to me. Good, son. So what'll it be? How about a story about Bret Hart? Uh, don't think we'd better start anything right now, Pa. We're going to have company in a few minutes. What? Sounds like just one horse. And he's got to be headed here because there's nobody else out this way. Sometimes I think I'd trade one of my eyes for one of your ears. And I'd take you up on it. Well, I'd better go on out and see who it is. Probably some peddler lost his way on his way to Cheyenne. Who is it, Pa? Can't see his face, but he's headed this way. Now go on out and meet him. It's you. Yeah, it's me, Gus Keeler. Who'd you expect? Pa, you all right? Yeah, Jimmy, I'm all right. You just go on back in the house. That's your blind young'un? I heard about him. Seems like tragedy runs in your family, Jenner. You have no quarrel with him. But I do with you. You embarrassed me today, Jenner. Embarrassed me real bad. You got the best of me in front of my friends. Friends? Those people aren't friends of yours. They're scared of you, that's all. That's the way I like my friends to be. That's why we can't have no more of what happened today. Fetch me my rifle, Jimmy. Don't you move, blind boy. You hear me? I'm blind, not deaf. Leave him alone, Keeler. Just leave him alone. I intend to. I don't think I have much to fear from some stupid blind boy. But you, Edward Jenner, you're a different story. You stay away from me, and I promise I'll stay away from you. Oh, you'll stay away from me, all right, permanently. Pa, what's he doing? You stay put, young'un. Maybe he'll live. But not you, Edward Jenner. If you're a religious man, you better say a prayer. A prayer? You know, something from the Bible, like a psalm. What's that one about walking through the valley of the shadow of death? I was like that one. 23rd Psalm. Say it. You can't really mean it. Say it! The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. No! Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Pa! Pa! Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. No, Pa! No! No! I'll make you pay, Gus Keeler. I swear I'll make you pay. Mm-hmm.
Jimmy picked up his father's lifeless body and carried it the entire six miles into the town of Cascade. No one asked Jimmy how he found his way. No one even asked him how long it had taken him. But there were enough questions to warrant a hearing into the death of Edward Jenner, presided over by Judge Harcourt. You may continue, Marshal. After Jimmy brought the body into town, how did he come to your attention? I was getting to that, Judge. Somebody found him, uh, Elmer Goody, I think it was, and brought him to my office. The boy says to me very calm that Gus Keeler rode out to their place and shot his father dead in cold blood. That sounded sort of sensible to me, since the two of them had been in a fight that morning. Objection. Opinion of the witness. Objection sustained. Just try to tell the story, Homer, without embellishing it too much. All right. But I did do some investigating. I asked Jimmy, how do you know it was Gus Keeler, since you're uh, blind? He said he knew his voice, and that sounded okay to me. So I arrested Gus Keeler. Did Keeler resist arrest at all? No, he came along right peaceably. Sort of surprised me. Objection. Sustained. Did Gus Keeler at any time ever admit to the killing? No, Your Honor. He said right from the beginning that he was innocent. Okay, Marshal. You can step down. I'd now like to call to the stand Jimmy Jenner. Comfortable, Jimmy? Yes, sir. Now, tell us in your own words exactly what happened. Well, Paul and me had just finished supper. We were sitting around talking, like always. We heard a horse coming up. I heard him first. And Paul went outside to see who it was. He didn't even take a gun out there with him like most people would have. Paul trusted everybody. He didn't ever expect anybody would do him any harm. Paul was a good man. Anyhow, it was Gus Keeler who rode up. I've heard his voice several times when I've been in town, hanging around outside the saloon. I came out of the house to see what was going on, and my Paul and Gus Keeler were talking about the fight they'd had that morning. Paul wanted to let bygones be bygones, but Gus Keeler didn't see it that way. He said he had to keep Paul out of his way permanently. Paul told me to fetch his rifle, and that's when Gus Keeler drew his gun. Well, now, now, how do you know that, Jimmy? I heard him cock it. He told me to stand still. Then he told Paul to say a prayer. When Paul didn't say anything, Keeler ordered him to say the 23rd Psalm. You know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But before Paul could even finish it, Gus Keeler shot him dead. Order. 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 Uh, was your father armed, Jimmy? No, sir, he wasn't. That's all the questions I have. Uh, would the defense attorney like to cross-examine? I certainly would, Your Honor. Uh, Jimmy, how do you know your father wasn't armed? Well, he, he never carried a gun. How do you know that? I... I know my father. But you can't say for sure that he wasn't armed. You didn't see him walk out. Can you say with positive certainty that your father was not armed? No, I suppose not. Jimmy, who fired first? First? What do you mean? Well, you just said you weren't sure whether your father was armed or not, so it is possible that he fired first. No, he didn't have a gun. He couldn't have fired at anyone. Now you say he wasn't armed again. A minute ago, you didn't know, Jimmy. Your testimony is very confused. Now, no need to badger the witness, Mr. Poole. This is only a hearing. Simply ask him straightforward questions. Yes, Your Honor. Jimmy, you heard a shot. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Did you see who fired it? 
Mr. Poole, I don't see. Did you see who fired it, yes or no? Well, no. All you know for sure is that you heard a shot. You don't know where it came from. As far as you know, your father could have shot himself. Shot himself? He did not shoot himself. Order? Order. Let's, uh, let's face facts, Jimmy. You can't be sure of anything. You heard a shot and your father's dead. That's all you really know. Anything else is just your imagination. No more questions. It was him. It was Gus Keeler. State your name? Gus Keeler. Did you know Edward Jenner? Slightly. Were you at Edward Jenner's house the night he was killed? No. Did you know his son, Jimmy Jenner? Never, madam. He says he knew you. I don't know how. How do you feel about Edward Jenner's death? Well, I didn't know him very well, but I'm real sorry. Seemed like a good man. <laughs> he was a good man in a fight. Did you kill Edward Jenner? No. Liar. He's a liar. It was him. It was. Order. 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 Now sit down, Jimmy. It won't do you any good. Do you have any more questions, Mr. Poole? No, Your Honor. Then the witness is retired. I've made a very difficult decision. I'm sorry, Jimmy. I can't in good conscience send this case to a jury for trial. There just isn't enough evidence. I know you believe what you've said at this hearing, Jimmy, but with no other witnesses, it's just your word against his. And the word of a blind man is, well, just not worth as much as the word of a man who can see. Case dismissed. You was cheated, son. Who are you? Lucius Michaels. I was the one your pa stood up for when he got into that fight with Gus Keeler. I'm the one that got him killed. No, sir. Pa would have helped anybody in the same spot. He was always helping people who needed help. I guess that's because he was used to having me around. Still, I'm powerful sorry. Your pa was one of the best men I ever knew. My pa told me a, a little bit about you, Lucius. Weren't you once a gunfighter? Well, some say the best in the territory. Of course, that was a long time ago when there were a lot of mining towns. I was once marshal of six towns at the same time. What are you doing now? Uh, cleaning saloons for drinks and tips. Do you ever shoot anymore? Shoot? My hand shakes so bad I can hardly hold a gun, let alone shoot one. I like to think it was age that done me in, but I know it was drink. Still, when it comes to... to Lucius, what's the matter? Why don't you go home, Lucius? Quit bothering the blind boy. Can't you see he's grieving? Well, yes, sir, Mr. Keeler. No, Lucius, you don't have to go anywhere. Mr. Keeler's the one who's leaving. Oh, I am, uh... Haven't you learned your lesson, blind boy? Keeler, you won today, but this fight is far from over. I'm going to hound you till the day you die. <laughs> Did you hear that? The blind boy's going to hound me till the day I die. He probably hit me with his cane. <laughs> See you, blind boy. You and that old drunk belong together. Yeah, I wish I had my nerves back for just ten seconds. I'd have that jackass laughing out of a hole in his ribs. You you still know a lot about guns, don't you, Lucius? As much as there is to know. And you could still teach someone how to shoot and to draw? Oh, I taught many a man how to shoot. I taught Tom Horn when he was just a boy. 
Somebody's got to rid the world of Gus Keeler. I said I could teach. I didn't say I could do it anymore. You got to be young, have quick reflexes. After all, half a fast drawn is instinct. There's no way I could go up against Gus Keeler. I don't want you to. I want you to teach me to shoot. I want to learn enough to kill Gus Keeler myself. Every day, an ex-gunfighter is asked to teach a blind man how to shoot and fast draw. But Jimmy Jenner was not an ordinary blind man. He was determined to avenge his father's death in the street, if need be, having been denied justice elsewhere. Now, let me get this straight, son. You want me to teach you how to shoot? That's right. I don't care how long it takes. Uh, Jimmy, you're a nice fellow and all that, but uh, I don't know if it's possible to teach a blind man how to shoot. You said yourself that fast draw is mostly instinct. And when you draw on someone, do you really have time to aim? No, but you got to know the general direction the person is standing in. I know where you're standing. About a foot to my left and no more than three feet away. You're also not very tall, about a foot shorter than I am. How did you know that? The direction your voice is coming from. Mm. You forget, Lucius... Blind people have better hearing than people who can see. I can recognize people by their footsteps, and I can tell if they're behind me, in front of me, or, or to the side. And it's true what they say about blind people having extra senses. I'm not saying it wouldn't take a lot of extra work to teach me to shoot, but I can practice at night, which is one advantage. You make a good case, Jimmy, but I don't know. Didn't you ever have a shootout in the dark? Of course I did. Well, how'd you know where the other man was? Well, instinct, experience. Mm hmm all right, I suppose it's possible you could learn a little. But you ain't going to learn enough to go up against Gus Keeler. He, he's a pretty fair shot when he ain't drunk. Maybe I will. And maybe I won't. But I aim to try. And if you don't teach me, Lucius, I'll find somebody else who will. I'm prepared to pay. No, no, now don't do that. Some other jackass will just take your money. You're awful young anyway. How, how old are you? Nineteen. Hmm. That's old enough to avenge my father's death. Lucius, if somebody killed your father, wouldn't you want to even the score? Son, that's how I became a gunfighter. Then you'll do it. It would be something teaching a blind man how to shoot. Against my better judgment, I might give it a try, but there are two conditions. One, we give it a couple of weeks, and if it ain't working, you got to promise to forget all about it. And two, no pay. Agreed. But if I don't pay you, you got to let me give you something. I know. How about if you moved in with me at the house? Eat and sleep there? That way you could work on me day and night. All right. But I got a feeling you was planning that all along. Hi, Lucius. How are things in town? Oh, fine. And I got a little something for you. You got it? Let me hold it. Whoa, 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 whoa. Guns are like people. Each one's a little different, and each one's got a story. I'll have to tell you a little bit about this one before I give it to you. It's used, been around a few years, but that's all right. It's a Colt 45 standard single action. Somebody sawed off the barrel a little bit and greased the action, so I know it's seen the inside of a holster before. Got a cheap wood butt, but that's all right. I always liked wood better than pearl. Pearls are my too slippery. The trigger, 
Trigger's good and easy. Let me have it, Lucius. All right. Here. My. It's heavy. Is it loaded? <laughs> it ain't. I can't get over how heavy it is. Believe me, it'll be light as a feather in no time. In fact, that gun has just become part of your body. You're going to eat with it, sleep with it, do your chores with it. You're going to feel naked without that gun. Can I cock it? Yep. And you can pull the trigger, too. I left the shell casings in, because it's not good for the hammer to strike nothing but air. Okay, Jimmy, let's try this. I'm just going to walk around you and clap my hands. When I clap my hands, you point the gun in my direction and you fire. I want to see how good you really are at telling directions. Ready? Ready. Okay. How'd I do? Well, you killed me twice, wounded me twice, missed me altogether twice. Can we do it again? Jimmy, we're going to keep doing it till you kill me all six times. And remember that number, six, because that's how many shots you got. No more, no less. Let's try it again. Ready? Tell me what you're thinking. About what? About me. It's been two weeks. Am I going to make it? What I was really thinking about was a drink. Lord, I miss that saloon, even with Gus Keeler in it. I need to know, Lucius. Is there any point in you staying on? Jimmy, I wouldn't have believed it if I hadn't seen it with my own two eyes. If you'll forgive me pointing out that difference. I think tomorrow it's time to get the bullets out of the cupboard. Yes, sir! Just... One thing bothers me. What's that? Well, you might get pretty good with a gun, especially at fast draw. But what good'll it do you? Gus Keeler's still going to kill you, and if he kills you, I'm going to have to kill him. I just don't know if I'm up to it. No, Lucius. Whatever happens between Gus Keeler and me is the end of it. I'm making that part of the deal right now. I've grown mighty fond of you, boy. You're a trier, a real trier. I bet your pa was proud of you. There's one more thing I've been thinking about. When it's over between Gus Keeler and me, whatever happens, I want you to know that you can stay on here at the farm. <laughs> you might even like it once you get used to it. Oh, I like it already. But I think it's time to turn in. We got a busy day ahead of us, what with live ammunition and all. <laughs> tin can set up along the fence by the chicken coop. You know where that is. I got a string attached to each can and when I shake it, I want you to shoot. I got the can spaced two feet apart. When do I get to use the holster? In due time. You gotta learn how to shoot first. Now, I'm gonna rattle a can. Ready? Ready. But you missed three. You got two left. Try it again. 
pretty dark. Well, that doesn't bother me. Uh, you go in if you want to. I'll, I'll stay out here and practice. By yourself? Sure. I'll walk up to the fence, touch the can, and take ten paces back. It'll help me to judge distances better. Hmm. Well, I suppose so. Okay, son. See you inside. Lucius? Yeah? Tomorrow I want to practice the draw. Why not? Lucius, what's the matter? Nothing. See you later. Now, when you fast draw, every part of your hand is doing something. Mm -hmm. Your trigger finger's squeezing the trigger, your thumb is pulling back the hammer, and the rest of your fingers are lifting the gun out of the holster. It's all one smooth motion. Remember, it's the hammer that actually fires the bullet. Uh The trigger don't do nothing but free the hammer. That's why you pull the trigger first. Pull the trigger first? Yep. And that way, by the time the gun's cleared the holster, all you have to do to fire it is to lift your thumb off the hammer. That is, providing you pulled the hammer back. Of course, some people fan the hammer, but I don't hold with that. Why waste four or five shots when one good one will do? What happens if I let go of the hammer too soon? You shoot your foot off. Want some more coffee, Lucius? No, thanks. I'm going to have another cup, and I'm going back outside to practice. What for? By now, you're damn near as fast as any man who ever lived. Did you really mean it? Damn near as accurate as a man who can see, at least on a quick draw. It's all thanks to you. Now, don't say that, boy. I feel bad enough already. Bad? How many men are there who could train a blind man to shoot? That's just it. You're the only blind man in the world who can shoot. No matter what happens between you and Gus Keeler now, you're going to become famous. Even if you live. Even if he don't even fight you. You're going to be the most famous gunfighter since Billy the Kid. Don't worry. Nobody's going to know about this except you and me. You ain't going to go up against Gus Keeler? Oh, I'll go up against him. He's still the man who killed my father in cold blood. But when I do, nobody's going to know who I am. Lorne Green again, and here's the fourth act of The Blind Gun. Now, let me get this straight, Jimmy. Gus Keeler ain't gonna know who you are. He ain't the one that's blind, you know. I have a little plan. As I see it, I got two main problems going up against Gus Keeler. One, he probably won't draw on me if he knows who I am. And two, he's got to make a sound every second or I won't know where he is. What I plan to do is put us both on equal footing. Now, Lucius, uh, if you look in my pa's bookcase, you'll find an almanac. An almanac? What's that got to do with anything? Just find it. Okay, but I thought we were planning a gunfight, not planting corn. Okay, I got it. Now, look up the moon tables and find me a night with no moon. No moon. Yeah, that might help. Here we go. There's a new moon in three days. My pa had a black suit he wore to funerals and such, and he also had a black hat. You think you could go into town and get me a black shirt? Hell, I got a black shirt. Good. Then we got the whole outfit. Now all we need is some black paint and some soot. 
Black paint and soot. This is beginning to sound a mite weird. I'm hoping it will be. Uh, you'll have to help me, Lucius. I, I want to paint my belt buckle, my snaps or buttons, anything that's shiny, black. Uh, we'll even have to paint the gun black, I'm afraid. No, not so, not so. All you have to do is paint the butt and the hammer black. That's all it shows above the holster. You're beginning to get the idea, Lucius. Yeah, it's a smart idea. You'll cover your face and hands with soot, is that it? Right. I'm even wearing patches over my eyes. Mm. I want to be damn near invisible. Okay, let's say every inch of you is covered in black and there's no moon. Still going to be lights on in town if that's where you're going. Not if we wait till almost midnight. Gus Keeler stays up drinking that late, doesn't he? <laughs> Later. Most people will be in bed by then. I figure you can take care of what other odd lamp might be on. I suppose. But you got to get Keeler out of the saloon. And how will you keep him talking? Leave that to me. I know exactly what he's going to say. And, and so I said to him, Pay up, Pedler, or I'm going to take those corsets out of that bag of yours and wrap them around your neck. <laughs> <laughs> what did you do then, Gus? You bought me a whole nother bottle. <laughs> Hey, that reminds me, it's your turn to buy the drinks, ain't it, Bo? Ah, but gosh, you know I ain't got no more money. How do I know it? Yes, I already bought three rounds. But I'm thirsty. Let me see that pocket of yours. Well, look at that. A four-bit piece. <laughs> Barkeep! Three whiskeys here. Gus, you tore up my pocket. Have that fat wife of yours, man. I'll buy you a drink, Bo. What you drinking? Uh, gee. No drink for me, Gus. I gotta be getting home. Well, I just ordered you a drink, you Gus. I'm going to shine in the morning tonight. Fred, I said you gotta stay. Okay, Gus. Okay. There it is, Jimmy. The saloon. About 50 yards ahead of us to the right. I'll go see if Gus Keeler's there. He's there. I can hear his voice. From here? Don't worry, Lucius. If you're ever blind, you'll get good at that sort of thing, too. How does the street look? Oh, darker than the devil's armpit. Besides the saloon, there's only one other light on in the livery stable. I can get it easy. Speaking of the devil, you look like his spitting image in that get-up. think Keeler will recognize me? What's there to recognize? Every inch of you is black, including your eyes. Good. He'll see me the way I see him. You stay here while I get the lamp in the stable. Bartender! Yes, You poured this one a little short. Well, they poured it like I poured all the others. That's what I mean. You pay all get drunk and disorderly and wreck all the furniture. <laughs> You've done it before. And I'm liable to do it again if you don't pour me a decent drink. Okay, Gus, just relax. Hey, you boys want more? Uh, no, no, I, I'm fine. None for me either. I, I gotta be getting home soon, Gus. Me too. And leave me to drink all alone? Now, that ain't very sociable. Friends should stick together. Here's to my friends, my true good friends. <laughs> okay, son. The street's dark as sin. 
I'll sneak into the saloon and get the lamps there when you call Keeler out. Everybody will be watching him. Thanks, Lucius, for everything. Son, if this don't work out, I want you to know it's been a powerful honor to know you. It's been a powerful honor to be taught by the greatest gunfighter alive. I'd almost forgotten I was anything great till I met you, Jimmy. Good luck. See you back at the farm. Yeah. Remember to shoot low, because you got a tendency to go high. Right. Gus Keeler. Gus Keeler. I think I heard somebody call you, Gus. Gus Keeler. Come out, Gus Keeler. Stop that damn piano. Gus Keeler. Come out, Gus Keeler. What for? To die. Die? What we'll see about that. Damn, how come it's so dark out here? I can't see you. Come closer, then. Hey, the lamp in the saloon. It doesn't matter. You don't need light to die. That's twice you said I'm going to die. Who are you, anyway? Death. Death? Hey, what is this, some kind of joke? It's no joke, Gus Keeler. I am death himself. But I'm going to give you a sporting chance. A better chance than you gave any of the people you killed or injured. I'm going to let you draw against me. Hey, who are you, really? I can't see your face. I don't have a face. Oh. God almighty. You don't have a face. Do you know the 23rd Psalm, Gus Keeler? Well, yeah, yeah. I, then uh, say it. But, but I, I... Say it! Oh. Uh... uh the, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He, uh, he... He maketh me to lie down in uh, green pastures. Say the whole psalm, then draw. He, he, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me uh, beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He, he... He leadeth uh, me in the paths of righteousness. Say yes. He, he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness... Uh, for his name's sake, uh, yea, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fare no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and uh, thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou uh, uh, anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall... Goodness and mercy... Is that you, Fred? Why is it so dark? Who shot Gus? Don't, 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 don't go after him, Marshal. He ain't human. Ain't human? I saw it with my own two eyes. Ask anybody here. Gus Keeler was so bad, death himself called him out and killed him in a gunfight. It can probably be said that nobody missed Gus Keeler very much. In fact, Cascade, Wyoming, was a perceptibly nicer place to live after his departure. 
Morning, Lucius. Morning, Jimmy. Morning, Fred. Hi, Fred. Where are you all going with that suitcase, Jimmy? Well, I'm going to Boston to study something called Braille. Braille? What's that? Oh, something some Frenchman invented to teach blind folks how to read. Well, how does it work? Well, if he knew that, he wouldn't be going. I think it's through touch instead of sight. Oh, well, who's going to take care of the farm? Well, I am, of course. You? Lucius Michaels? <laughs> well, what's so funny about that? Jimmy's taught me a lot about farming in exchange for something I taught him. Now, how long have you been gone, Jimmy? Oh, two years. Two years? Hey, Lucius, did I tell you what happened to Gus Keeler? Damnedest thing ever happened in these parts. I heard, I heard. Look, Fred, I'd like to jawbone with you, but i got to get Jimmy on that train. Oh, sure, sure. Have a good trip, Jimmy. Thank you. Oh, windbag. <laughs> you sure you won't mind living on the farm? Mind? Well, it's the most peace and quiet I've had in 30 years. Sure you won't mind living in Boston? Two years a long time. Being able to read is something my pa always wished for me. I think I ought to do it for him. Yes, son. I reckon so. Well, up you go. I'll miss you. I'll miss you, Lucius. But all right. Somehow. I just bet you will. And you know, to this day, in Cascade, Wyoming... They talk about the night death himself called Gus Keeler out and killed him in a fair fight. Mutual Radio Theater is brought to you five nights a week at this time. Tonight's original radio play, The Blind Gun, was written by John Bornholt and produced and directed by Fletcher Markle. Your host was Lauren Green. Our stars were Corey Burton and Vic Perrin. Featured in the cast were Marvin Miller, Tom Holland, Jack Carroll, Harley Bear, and Howard Culver. The Mutual Radio Theater theme was composed by Nelson Riddle. John Harlan speaking. The Elliott Lewis production of Mutual Radio Theater is a presentation of CVI. This is Andy Griffith. Join us tomorrow at this same time. I've got another story I think you'll find riotously amusing. That's this week's Mutual Presents feature. The Mutual Audio Network brings the best of old-time radio and modern audio theater to the world. Be sure to subscribe through the Mutual Audio Network podcast feed, any of our podcast days, or the Mutual YouTube channel, which includes MadCon and many other extra features and shows. See you all next time at Mutual Presents. Good night.
Now, you seem to me to be a connoisseur of the best of radio drama. In which case, make sure you're subscribed to the Monday Matinee feed. There we have our weekly series of dramatic, theatrical, classic, eclectic and live radio drama. So, yeah, either the main mutual audio network feed for all types and genres of audio drama or the Monday Matinee. And we'll see you there. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together. 